tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmorrowroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. It is February the 18th. We are ready to rock and roll this morning. A um, couple quick announcements and alerts before we bring Mr. Osborne Bodden on the show. Uh, first of all, uh, we do have to cut the show just a little bit short today because we are off to the BRAC. Um, in case you missed it, the 737-8 uh, uh, most of you will know it as the Max 8, but a little bit of rebranding is occurring. We'll be flying um, media to Cayman Brack this morning. And given the Brack residents an opportunity to be able to view the plane, take tours of the planes, or the plane, single plane. And uh, there'll be kids who will be afforded the opportunity. I think they're actually um, coming out of school. 
and they'll be afforded the opportunity to tour the plane and find out, speak to the pilots, uh, find out from, you know, different uh, Cayman Airways employees what is going on. And um, hopefully just really excited to be able to have the plane back in service. So as you guys recall, last week, I think it was actually a week ago, exactly a week ago, uh, last week, Thursday, we were um, at the tarmac as the plane was coming in from Jamaica. So it did a quick trip to Jamaica that morning. Uh, it was a service flight. They have to do certain things before this plane is obviously permitted to get back uh, in the air, folks. And so Cayman Airways, we know, is, you know, in my opinion, the safest airline uh, in the world and they really take all of the necessary precautions to ensure our safety and, um, you know, to continue to have their wonderful safety record. So over the weekend, in case you missed it, you could have gone here in Grand Cayman on Saturday to actually tour uh, the plane here. Again, at the hangar, the Kimera's hangar, um, talk to the pilots, ask them questions. And they were actually doing a number of, even if you didn't get to the airport, you probably saw the planes taken off and landing they were doing a number of landing and takeoff practice runs uh, so that every single pilot who is, you know, currently with Cayman Airways would be able to um, get a practice run and feel comfortable behind the, the wheel, so to speak. Uh, just a reminder, I mean, these planes are, are different. Um, you know, they're brand new to aviation and to the entire world. And so there is definitely a period of adjustment for everyone, um, even after or before the situation that occurred where they were pulled out of service, um, you know, it, it is what it is. So big shout out to um, Cayman Airways. The landing and takeoff practice runs is them going above and beyond what is even required of them, um, which I think is amazing because once again, that just proves uh, what they're all about. Big shout out this morning to Allison. Hidalgo, Allison has had her baby. I know you guys remember some months back last year when we announced that Allison um, and her husband were expecting a baby and they had a baby boy um, after 26 long hours of labor. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, eight pounds, 11 and a half ounces, born at 2.36 a.m. Uh, right on his due date of February the 18th. So this is a kid who believes on being on time. So um, speaking of being on time, of course, Mr. Ozzy is here with us. Good morning. Good morning, Ozzy. How are you? Good morning, Sandy. Good morning to our viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me just turn on my camera here. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Let me just see what I can, <laughs> if I can switch. I know, right? We've got <laughs> Morna who's joining us this morning, the beautiful Morna. Good morning. We have Lizette, who is with us. Miss Joy from Texas is joining us. Bonnie, all the way in East End. Bonnie, I'm going to try to get to you over the weekend. Um, I've got a busy couple days. So if it's not over the weekend, it'll definitely be early next week to get your CMR mug. Uh, good morning to Miss Morna and everybody else. We've got Jeffrey joining us from Kingston, Jamaica. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. How is it in Kingston this morning? Uh, Larry, good morning, Sandy, and all of the CMR audience. Larry, of course, as we know, is in New York. Miss, uh, no, Luis Faye Bush, good morning. I'm listening to hear what um, is hidden me. Well, don't worry, we're not going to hide anything from you this morning. We're going to give you the cold hard truth. 
Ms. Paulette, good morning to Ms. Beulah as well. Nilas is here, everybody's checking in. Um, Barbara, Ms. Corrine from West Bay. Julie says, good morning, Sandra and friends, enemies included. <laughs> Ms. Julie, good morning to them all. Good morning to them all. Listen, we know we have some haters around the place, but you know what? They make life so interesting. And it's even more interesting when the haters like join in. <laughs> they're watching, they're listening. Some of them wait until after the show to then go back and listen afterwards, but that's okay. We don't mind. Keep listening. You're going to learn stuff here. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Thank you for joining us this morning. Donovan, also from New York. He says, it is snowing in New York. Ooh. Miss Darlene from the UK. Uh, is that Sean or Shuan? Bullock, uh, good morning from Miami. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. Miss Carol is here from Cayman Brack. Miss Carol, we will be on the Brack this morning. Uh, we take off, well, I have to be at the airport at nine o'clock and then we take off at 10 and we'll be there shortly after because it doesn't take much time in the jet to get there. So the beautiful Olivia is joining us and Sarah is joining us. Just a quick announcement, folks, in case you um, are unaware because the minister uh, doesn't tell us much, the minister of education that is, um, doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what's going on in this country when it comes to education. But Cayman is really, really in um, our educational system as a whole uh, is really, really in, you know, just dire straits. And the public education system where most of our children are attending as Caymanians needs a complete overhaul. And we need a minister who is a little bit of gumption. I mean, honestly, this minister isn't cutting it. So one of the things that you may not know, and I got several parents calling me last week, is that at John Gray High School, they've been having a problem with drugs. Newsflash. No one's been talking about this. You're going to hear this first here on CMR. So a number of mornings now, the school administrators have called in the cops, listen to this, um, drug task force, I guess, to do raids and checks at the school. And I've had parents call me saying that they are so concerned about the prevalence of drugs in the school. They've got children there who are concerned, who are being pressured um, and all this sorts of thing. And it is just unbelievable that we have heard nothing from the administration, from the ministry, from no one in a position of power about this. Imagine your children go to school this morning, folks, um, where the police are having to raid uh, that facility and you as a parent have not been called to any meeting. I bet you've never even gotten an email or written notice that this is happening. They're still minor children. And as a parent, you have a responsibility and an obligation and a right to know what is going on with your children and what is going on in an environment that your children are at for most of their day. Crickets, silence, not a word from, from the school administrators. Um, so there you have it, folks. John Gray campus this morning. Um, it, it's, it's a hot mess. But we are aware of the situation. We've been aware of the situation actually since last week. We were waiting to see if the ministry would have made some sort of announcement or said something. Um, but that has not happened. So they're there again this morning. They are doing spot checks. My understanding is for the most part, we're talking about uh, the prevalence of marijuana on campus. And in particular, 
um, marijuana brownies. Now, if your children are smart enough and ingenious enough and have enough time in their hands to bake marijuana brownies, you know, you got some smart kids, smart kids on your hand that you need to put into culinary school or something else so that they can learn a lot of other brownie recipes. Um, baking marijuana brownies and taking them to school is something that will get them arrested and get them in trouble. So hopefully the police can get to the bottom of it. Again, no reports have been coming out about this except from the few parents who have spoken up. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on the situation and we will get back to you guys with further details as we're more um, aware of what's happening. So good morning, Sue. Um, good morning, Sarah. She says that we're neighbors. Um, are you referring to Ozzy, Miss Sarah? Yes, Morna um, says, I live in Prospect and whenever you're in Prospect area, let me know. So I'll get my mug. Well, we're not far from Prospect, so I'll definitely message you and link up. Uh, Danica from Kingston, Jamaica is also tuned in. Thank you so much, Danica. Oh, Danica is beautiful. What's with that sexy photo, Danica? Behave. Uh, <laughs> Barbara is also here. Good morning to the lovely Barbara. Bruce says, please ask Mr. Bodden. Okay, so uh, Ozzy, we're ready for you. Let's get it rolling. Um, ask Mr. Bodden to explain why he's running for political office again and what he sees as the main issues facing the country and his constituency that he hopes to represent. What actual solutions does he have to offer? Please be detailed in the response, says Bruce. Ozzy, tell us why and what are you going to be doing? Well, good morning again, and, and thanks uh, for everyone that's tuned in, and thanks for the comments and the questions. Um, I guess we should start, first of all, with Bruce, because uh, that's that's really the important one, why I'm running again. Um, for a long time, I taken a back seat when I came out of office. And, you know, I believe that you, especially with one man, one vote situation, you have to allow whoever that representative is a chance to, to do their thing, as it were. So naturally, uh, I've sat back, I've observed, and we've, we've all seen some of the failings in, in this last administration, in particular from my constituents of Bonton Townies. But along also came COVID. Uh, we're still in the, in the midst of, of the pandemic. And uh, this has, has brought us a whole new uh, dynamic and a whole new state of scenarios, as it were. And I think amongst all of the, the tragic circumstances, the, the death and the illness around the world, We've done tremendously well here. Kudos to the government for, for their actions. But I think that COVID has, has given us in Cayman an opportunity as well. And we have to, I always tell people, let's look at the glass as is, whether it's half full or half empty. I like to think it's half full. And the COVID pandemic has given us as Caymanians an opportunity to sit back, look, and see what, Cayman is all about. It has also, in my opinion, given the, the, the folks who come here to work with us, who work among us, an opportunity to see that a lot can be done with the people that we already have here. I think that we have for too long sat back and just sort of lived the Cayman dream, as it were, let Cayman develop. And I've 
from 30 years ago. In fact, that's why I got into politics originally. That's what put me into the political arena when I would write letters after coming back from college about what I'd seen and what I was seeing here and speaking about the, the fact that Caymanians need to take ownership and, and be given a chance to prove themselves here in Cayman. I think that COVID has given us that opportunity. So I kept thinking about whether I should get back into the arena. Uh, the, the good thing with coming out of politics is that it gives you a fresh perspective each time that you do, because I've been in and out. I, I was 05 to 09, I was a backbencher in the government. I came out, I went back in 13 as a minister, and I came out in 17. And, you know, for various reasons, uh, some my fault, some uh, just the way things are, that you find yourselves out of office. But I've always been involved in what Cayman is about. I've always helped. I've always been community-minded. So when I looked at it uh, over the last part of last year, and I said, you know, people started to watch me and whatnot. Are you going to run, blah, blah. Well, of course, we were in the, the heat of the US political situation at the time. And when that heats up, we tend to warm up here. So we got around to. I told everybody, I said, let me, let me really think hard and pray hard and consult family and, and, and close confidence about this. And if I want to do this, I'll do it and, and I'll make up my mind in January. So said, so done. Along came January and the, and the first week of January, my, my mind came crystal clear that I should make another run at this and try and offer my experience and, and some of um, my knowledge to, to the political process in Cayman to try and make these islands better. Not not for me, because I, I think I, I can make it out of here now. <laughs> I've been around a while, I'll be 60 this year. But I, I have kids, um, grown kids, uh, and I have a grandkid and another one on the way. And those those are the people, along with, with all of your people, your families, that we have to be fighting for. Because Cayman has been a runaway train. and. If we don't get on the train, we're going to find ourselves on the tracks. And we have been that way now for too long. Cayman has made many a millionaire. And kudos to them. They come here and they work hard. But why can't we be making more Caymanian millionaires? That's my question. And there's no real, no, there's no real good answer because the fact is that it is possible if we believe in our people and give them an opportunity and it has to start from the home and the school stage. Uh, we cannot wait until people are grown and try to change it. Like, like the old saying says, uh, bend the tree when it's young because it's a lot more pliable and it will, it will follow what you've set yourself to do. But if you, if, you, if you develop bad habits and you go along and you ingrain yourself with those habits, you're not going to change that easily. But we have a situation in Cayman now that Caymanians are simply not being able to catch up with what's going on. We have development out of waste. You drive around the islands, you talk to people, you see the development. You see the, the, the property market exploding. But yet, I've been canvassing for the past six weeks and I'm coming down from all the way from Frank Sound. I'm into Bontown now, Central. And let me tell you something, we have a lot of people hurting and we need to understand that. So on the outside, we, we, we show this glossy image of these Cayman Islands, but on the inside, we have real hurt. We have people who are out of jobs.
people who are out of insurance or elderly can't get insurance, some of them. Uh, we have folks who are applying all over the place for work and they have to be in toll. And these are these are not people who don't want to work. That that's you know, there's always an element of unemployment in any society. You that's that's a given. But when you have people who are able and willing and qualified to work and can't get work, there's something wrong with that society. And I am back because I feel that I can make a difference. I am not anti-foreigner in any way at all, but what I am is pro-Caymanian. And I'll tell anybody that I am coming back on a very pro-Caymanian platform for us to take ownership, to sit at the table, not sit under it and get the crumbs. Mm -hmm. uh, Bontown Central, where I'm representing Bontown East from Northward up to Frank Sound is a large area. And especially in the middle of Bontown Central, where my business and where I, I grew up in the old homestead, anyone driving through there, as my colleague and friend and, and chairman, Robert Barton, says all the time when we canvass, and he says, you know, if Christopher Columbus comes back tomorrow, the only place you're recognizing Cayman is Bontown. And, and that's, it's, it's funny, but it's also an indictment that that area has been left the way it is for so long. Uh, it's private property, yes, but at the same time, government needs to take a real serious look at it and develop that area. That's the original capital, folks. That's the original capital of the Cayman Islands. We can do better. We need to create, uh, we need to rezone that area. We need to create mm -hmm. initiatives. We need to create businesses. And it will also go a long way to alleviating some of the traffic concerns that we have. Because right now, everybody leaves the Eastern districts and goes into town daily and fights the traffic, gets frustrated. Their home life suffers because of the early hours and they come back. And there's nothing between East End, North Side and Georgetown because Bottentown, except for countryside, doesn't have a lot going on. I think that Bottentown is actually a very, very key area that can be developed nicely and made to shine again and really be something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. So that's in, that's in. I guess, <laughs> I've tried my best to wrap a lot into one answer there, but I hope mm -hmm. I've helped uh, Mr. Bush there, Mr. Smith, sorry. Well, we will have more um, opportunities, don't worry, Bruce, um, with Ozzy. This is, will not be his only appearance. He's got a number of um, shows booked so that you guys can dig deep and ask a lot of questions. Good morning to Vet, and Vet says giving you a big shout out this morning. Thomas is joining us from Bermuda. He says morning to Grand Cayman, Cayman Brack, and Little Cayman. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Um, he's an MP in Bermuda, and he never forgets that we are three beautiful islands. And Mr. Thomas, you may have missed it. But at the beginning of the show, I was saying this morning that the show will be cut a little bit short because I'm actually going to Cayman Brack, one of our sister islands, um, for a little day trip. So Crystal says, Mr. Ozzy, what is your perspective or thoughts on the current infrastructure of Cayman? How do we improve or fix it? Now, that's a wide question. I, I don't know what infrastructure specifically, but um, whatever comes to your mind, Ozzy. Uh, thanks, uh, Sandra, and, and, and thanks, Crystal. Uh, Crystal has actually reached out to me personally as well, and, and we have a date, hopefully in the near future, to sit and chat. But um, I, I think it's not so much, I think we have a pretty good infrastructure physically uh, in Cayman. The problem is the infrastructure that we have not built is our people. Our human resources uh, have been neglected. And as I mentioned earlier, we if we don't take,
and understand the importance of our people in this process, the importance of them living in harmony with the society that's being built around them, then we are going to be in a lot of trouble. We have the chance to do it now. COVID has given us that opportunity. Let's take that and develop our people. Let's start with our youngsters and work our way where our people can gain proper ownership. Can those, those folks who are looking to, to own homes, let's make it possible for them. Let's make it easier for them. Right now, a lot of them, they're coming to us and they're saying, how can we afford this? The, the prices are through the roof, right? So for example, I'll throw out a quick answer, an idea in that regard. Okay, government has the National Housing Development Trust and they've been building homes and kudos to them that started for a long time now from with us in fact. And, and before that, there were some government initiatives for homes. So they're, they're doing you know, 10, 15, 20 homes here and there. But the backlog, if we've just listened to the recent release statistics, there's like 400 people on a waiting list. Now that is not going to cut down anytime soon. That's 400 people that could be paying a mortgage that are paying rent or living in poor conditions. So we have to work very seriously at that. That's a major, major issue for this country right now. I can tell you, I was speaking to a young man last week, 29 year old young man, a very hard working young man, four trade and business license. I have two. So he's, he's ahead of me, much a, a young man with initiative, with ideas. And we got to talking and it was so inspiring to listen to him and to hear him say how COVID had knocked him down, but not out. And he had went ahead and gotten two more licenses and was trying his hands at something else. We have a lot of ambition and talented, ambitious and talented people in these islands. We have to give them an opportunity to shine. And one of the things he said to me, he said, I believe in you because he said, you have shown that your work with the youth and sports in particular in the past in the community that you care. But he says, you need, you need, you guys need to find a way for us to own homes easier. And he's not the only person. One example. And we need to, one, maybe an example that I, I, I was saying to my colleague, one of the things that we can look at is government procuring a large acreage, not, not just a little bit of land, not, not a few acres, but hundreds of acres of land. And there is still land in Cayman. Uh, a lot of it now is being bought up by, by uh, people with, with serious means, people that are not even in these islands are buying land here at the moment. And that is a big, big issue right there as well I'd like to address because that is something that we need to put a stop to. The, the definition of insanity is if you do the same thing every day and expect a different result, it's not gonna happen. We have to make some changes. We have to make some serious, serious moves, some serious protection mechanisms in these islands for our people. Our people have nowhere to go. We're small islands. We are not the large USA or the large Europe or Asia or whatever. We are the small three Cayman Islands, eco-friendly to a large extent. And we should be developed in that regard and not just seen as a place where people can come and gobble up and get rich and the rich sell to the rich and the expatriate community come here and work and take care of their own and simply just use us as it were at the end of the day and, and move on while our people are suffering. So government should buy up large acreages and in one area maybe, or in a number of areas and put in infrastructure. It's gonna cost government, but that's what government 
That's why we collect revenue as government. That's why we tax our people. We are there to protect them, to be the buffer, to allow them to strive, put in infrastructure. So when you go in there and buy a, a, an affordable house lot, that is already wired and watered, right? You don't have, you're not starting from scratch. It's prepared site. They come in and they can buy it at an affordable amount, a house lot that right now, a house lot is through the roof. A house lot when I was growing up was $10,000 or less, right? And in 40 to 50 years, look at what has happened to Cayman. And people are making millions. We are developing huge complexes, beautiful, beautiful uh, condominium complexes, selling for $10 million a unit. But yet our people can't get a home. There's something wrong with that picture, folks. And if we don't recognize that and fix that, government has to lead government has to lead we have to be there for our people we have to be the safety net because otherwise when they fall through the proverbial crack and they're on crack or doing something else that's wrong who do you think they're going to come after mm -hmm. so the people that live here and make good money and feel that they're all that they need to understand that if our people are not allowed are not allowed to be side by side with them, working as partners rather than, in some cases, slaves or worse, not working, then they are missing the boat because at the end of the day, you're gonna have social breakdown. We need we need to take some serious steps, folks. That's why I'm back because I'm not afraid to make hard decisions. I think I have uh, the the the, test, the uh, testicular fortitude, as 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 the proper way of saying it. Uh, to to do that and stand for my people, embracing the foreigners that come here who bring so much that we need to you know in, in specialist jobs, but we have to create an avenue. We have at the school at the primary school level, we have to know the kids that can go the vocational route and those who can go the academic route. The teachers will tell you that that's possible. They can identify those kids early. We need, I don't care what anyone says or how you want to gloss it over, we need a proper functioning trade school. We need to be putting out Urkemanian, masons, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, architects, mechanics. We need to be putting them out, folks. We should not be, that's an area of permit, permit fees that we should not be depending on. We should be bringing in people here that we do not have in terms of expertise, our experience, all well and good, but in all fairness, and there are some jobs, for instance, domestics that, you know, Caymanians, it's sadly, we, we do not have that element anymore. We, we, we did have Caymanians back when I was growing up who took care of many of the tourism complexes and, and, and hotels and stuff who, who were housekeepers. We, we, we have lost that interest in that area, mm -hmm. but seeing that as it may, and being that as it may, it, it, it doesn't mean that we cannot do other things that are very, and, and whatever we do, be the very best at it, right? So we need to make sure that our kids are channeled where they are strongest, rather than those kids who are not academically gifted, being pushed through the system, as it were, graduating as failures, when truth and in fact, those kids are super talented but they're not A and B, C students. We need to understand that because what you've done then, you've just created a stigma 
you've created that in that child's head that he's not as good as his peers and he or she will never match up. So wrong, so wrong. Some those those are our mechanics, those are our lawyers, uh, sorry, not lawyers, those are our plumbers, electricians, carpenters and masons who make tremendous amount of money and they are coming here. We're having to bring them in to our country on work permits. So folks, we have an opportunity. I think COVID has given us that opportunity to look within, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hang on, are we really, who are we creating Cayman for? Who are we developing this country for? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it not for our people? I mean, whatever else we bring on top of that is bonus. But mm -hmm. people should be allowed to strive and survive in their own country, folks. Absolutely. Wow, Ozzy, that, that is a mouthful. And, you know, we, we've been asking this question for quite some time about who are we um, developing for? And I think one of the advantages of COVID, obviously nobody wished COVID and, and anyone in the world, but the entire world is having to deal with this situation. But one of the obvious advantages of COVID is it has forced us um, to pump the brakes, to literally apply the brakes very, very quickly. Um, an entire sector, tourism, which uh, makes up 30% of our GDP, has been stopped. And that gives us, as you rightfully said, an opportunity to rewind a little bit and to fix some of the issues that when you're in full throttle mode, it is often very, very difficult to address and to fix. And so um, I think we need to capitalize on this opportunity. And I don't, I'm not convinced that some of the persons that we have in there now, despite them having handled the COVID situation relatively well, I don't think that they have the vision or the ability to implement that vision, even if they had the vision, into a meaningful plan of action. You know, they've been talking about these issues for far too long. And we're gonna, um, as we continue folks to speak with Ozzy, I see more of your questions coming in, not just this morning, but in the future, we will be putting Ozzy to the test about some of the things that he has done and accomplished um, as a previous minister, as well as things that maybe he didn't get done and why that was the case. So, you know, we will be committing to holding every single candidate who comes on the program uh, holding their feet to the fire because if they want to be leaders in this country, then uh, you know if they come in the call cold hard truth, we're going to be giving it to them. So Ms. Darlene says, uh, "Good morning, Ozzy. As a mother and grandmother, I want to know what do you have planned if you're elected to help our children and grandchildren to be able to work and secure properties in our beautiful Cayman Islands." I think Ozzy has already been talking in part um, about this. Added, as it is now, they're not able to own their own home or even their own businesses. They need the security from government to get them there. Absolutely. Very sad. I think I, think I spoke largely to that just now. Yeah. Um, Bruce wants to know, why did Mr. Barden leave the PPM? And if elected, would he help the PPM form another PPM-controlled government? So this is the number one question. Um, I know Wayne got it the other day as well. Um, a lot of people are not fans of the PPM administration. In fact, you know, during the last administration, the last um, election, sorry, I think it was obvious that a lot of persons likewise were um, not fans. And so we now uh, have the question being asked because people understand no matter what happens, the chances are we're probably going to have a coalition government yet again. Who comprises that coalition government, whether it's a co largely independent coalition government PPM controlled as what has happened now. Um, well, CDP largely doesn't exist, so we know it can't be a CDP controlled government. Those are kind of the, the two options. 
So I think um, what Bruce is asking here is um, if we get an even split again, which we're hoping, like I said, I, I keep telling people, if you want to do way with the PPM, you've got to do way with the leader. Sorry, Alden, you got to go. Um, because it becomes more difficult to then do anything if you get Alden back in, because he seems to have some power to flip some candidates like I've never seen uh, once they get in. So simple question, why did you leave the PPM? And if elected, would you be minded to help the PPM regain control? Okay, well, let me answer this quite frankly. Um, I, the, the PPM was, I'm almost one of the founding members. There were five people who originally got together to form the PPM and I came right on the back of that. So I was there from the early days with, with the PPM. And I think that the, the PPM was founded on, on very, very good principles. Sandy, you were there in the early days. Mm -hmm. You know that it was, a, a, it was supposed to be a ground up movement and a people's progressive movement, which the word, the name itself signified what we were about. Mm -hmm. And for that to happen, you have to have a functioning party. You have to have national council meetings. Uh, you have your movers and shakers, which are your main people that on a daily basis that, that are involved with decision-making. You have your executive. And, and of course, then you have the elected members that, that spring, spring from that party. So the party was well-structured, the constitution was well-built, and we had a, a good thing going, as it were. Unfortunately, uh, in the last, what should I say, maybe, well, it's four years since I've been out of office, and I would say a couple of years into my term as minister, we, we started to, to lose the, 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 the party, as it were, and I think, to some extent, this was deliberate because you, you see, when, when the party is functioning properly, you have to account to that party. Mm -hmm. you, ha you have to have regular meetings, as I've said. The people need to be heard, and you need to speak to the people as well that you govern. So the PPM started to die as a movement from a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So people talk about PPM now, but the truth is that the most that exists is maybe an executive and a few movers and shakers. The, the, the party has not had a national council meeting in forever. So the party, the party lost its, its purpose, lost its goal, and the party should not be used. And I'm sorry, it should not be used as an election tool. The party is more than that. The party was supposed to keep us tied to our people, to our roots remind us where we came from, remind us who we're representing mm -hmm. and help us to govern because out of many come the ideas that we need and, and, and expertise because the party is full of brilliant people, all sorts of people from across the island, right? And this is where I came at odds and I decided this is really not working out and no matter what you said or did, nothing was going to change because there are a few people that control and keep that control. And of course, if you don't have the meetings, it's easy to control because then it's it, you're, you're answering to the less people, aren't you? So, so that was the, as it were, the, the bone and the teeth that, that, that started to really hurt. Then came the elections 
And in, in 17, I lost my seat and minister, mm -hmm. ministers Archer and, and, and Panton lost their seats. And uh, Minister Tibbetts didn't run back. So they three, there were three ministers left that were part of that government. Mm -hmm. uh, minister Rivers was never a member of the PPM. So basically you had, you know, just, just, just a, a few people left there, right? And there came the coalition, the unity, PPM-led unity government, and there came the connection with Mr. Bush. Now, here is where, again, things started to get rockier for me because Mr. Bush is a Caymanian who has done much in this country, has been elected forever. Mr. Bush is a social acquaintance of mine. We've been served together in office, but mm -hmm. Mr. Bush and I have never been on the same political platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a decision that I have made and that won't change. So when Mr. Bush got involved with the PPM for the sake of, of, of creating the government, again, that distanced me even further. Then along came the situation with the speaker, Mr. Bush, that we know happened recently and that he has been charged and convicted for, sadly. Now, whether you're my friend or not, if you're wrong, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And that high office that Mr. Bush holds, one of the second or third highest office in the land, is a very serious office. We live in a global village. We live in a small world now with the internet. Everybody knows what's going on, whether you're on a tiny rock or you're in the big USA. Whether you're tweeting or whether you're on Facebook or whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. world is out. We cannot, we cannot have our speaker or esteemed speaker sit in that high office and be convicted of what he was convicted of. Mm -hmm. The bottom line, I don't care how you cut it, how you post it, that was a serious incident. And Mr. Bush should have done the honorable thing, in my opinion, rather than still making excuses, sadly. He should have done the honorable thing and stepped down. Right. So he put him and his government in a very, very tough situation. The premier, my longstanding friend of 40 odd years, should have also done the honorable thing, in my opinion, and called for his removal or removed him with a meeting of the house. Mm -hmm. Nothing was done. Nothing was said by the government. It was, we can't do this because if we do this, it's going to mash up the government. For goodness sake, guys, we've just taken, we've just prorogued the government. The government, there was, there was not that much of a, a, for the government to do or left before the elections to do. Right. So that, that was a very flimsy excuse in my mind. Right. So when this incident happened, as I said, and I, I learned of it, I, I, I said, well, here's a straw that, break, that broke the Kremlin's back. And myself and Minister Pandan resigned within days of each other. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there are not good people involved in what was the PPM government. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that there, there, there are a lot of good people, right? There are people that have something to offer this country, and there are a lot who are my friends. But we have to be careful. We have to look 
at going forward, how we represent, and we have to keep the integrity. The last thing I want to know is that the office of MP is seen as one that is just a bunch, you know, of people who are not, who are, who cannot be role models, who cannot stand up there and say that they are leaders because of their own background. Mm. The ethics committee of the house should have got involved. Um, you know, we, we have we have to stand up, folks. We are leaders. We we are our, our young people are aspiring to be leaders. We have the youth parliament. We have to know that they are coming there and looking at us as something that they want to be. Right? And they want to make a difference. And the only how you can lead is if you bring that integrity to your office. So we don't know, honestly, that, that this is the widest field that we've ever seen of candidates. I don't know how much we're going to have by the time the month ends when nomination day rolls along November 1. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have a lot of people. Now, it's, I, I'm not, I certainly am not looking forward to what is going, because the one thing that political parties give you is that clear delineation of what your government is going to look like and who's going to possibly be your premier and all this. Right now, we are in an open, open, open bag of, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's all going to have to be shaken out at the end of the day for those of us who make it back there on April 14th. So it's going to be interesting. And we're going to have to find the right people of similar mindset for what Cayman needs going forward. Some of the things that I outlined earlier, I will be looking to see who feels. And, and you know, we know that I have a team around me now with Minister Panton and, and Ms. Heather Borden, a former MLA. We're a team. And we'll be looking to work with people that are community-minded, who care about these islands, and who want the right thing for the Cayman Islands and its people. So it's not going to be an easy thing to do. Trust me, it's going to be the, the traditional horse trading, as it's called. It's going to be a coalition government, no matter how you look at it. It may not be a PPM-led government this time. Mm -hmm. But we need to, we need to be open-minded about this. And rather than, than find uh, reasons to say, oh, look, at that's PPM in another disguise or whatever, nothing like that. We are, we are independent-minded people who want the best for Cayman. And the team that I have with me feel very similar to what I have outlined. So folks, we are in this, we're applying for the job. And it's, at the end of the day, it's for you to either hire us or not hire us. If you hire us, I promise you to give you my all. Yes, well, thank you so much, Ozzy. We have a lot of comments coming in. 174 plus people logged in between Facebook, YouTube, and then we've got another handful um, watching via the website as well. So we will try to um, definitely get to some of your questions and comments. A lot of people, including Alicia, saying that the law is the law. Miss um, Anne saying amen in relation to the comments about Mr. Bush. Now, Ozzy, you talked about earlier how, you know, I was there at the beginning of the formation of the PPM and so were you. And um, there's so many things that have transpired since then that honestly, I never thought that I would see uh, because I really believe that this was a party based on, on principles that guided our movements. And it, it has become more about the personalities of the leadership than anything else. But on, um, what day is it? You know, the midweek holiday always throws you off. That would have been on Tuesday. I had the opportunity to speak to um, a PPM member. They're still a PPM member, old elderly gentleman, elderly meaning, you know, in his 60s. 
uh, business owner. And he was saying to me, um, I hadn't seen him in a while. And we had a little discussion about, you know, the early election. And he said to me, oh, but, um, you know, she attacked him first or she hit him or something to that effect. And I'm surprised that the people who are pushing this narrative, which Mr. Bush's story has changed on a number of occasions. So on one hand, he told the compass last week that this was all about gratuities. So he assaulted her. I guess what he's trying to say on behalf of the workers, so the workers should feel safe at work because of him, um, because that's how he decides to resolve what he saw as a gratuities issue is to beat up a woman um, three times in 20 minutes. And then he's told other people that, you know, her and her lesbian girlfriend assaulted him. And in fact, a lot of people, and someone pointed this out, I think it might've been on Tuesday's show as well when Arden was on, but someone pointed out that we seem to be missing that there was an actual hate crime here as well. If that was the, the basis on which she was attacked because she might be a lesbian or she hangs out with lesbians or whatever it is that Mr. Bush um, thinks. And he made, he actually put it in writing. So this isn't something that's hearsay folks. This was, again, I encourage people to read the, the judgment from the court. He'd actually put this in a WhatsApp or a text message. I can't remember exactly which one where he said, um, made some disparaging remarks about her and her sexuality or who she hangs out with or something like that. In most jurisdictions, the charges laid against him would have been a lot more serious than just common assault. And there are uh, people who think that he was only charged with common assault because they knew at the end of the day, he couldn't be sentenced to more than 12 months under that particular charge. And so the outcome would be exactly, you know, where it's at now. So, um, you you yourself have come under a little bit of fire, um, Ozzy, and this is the appropriate time to speak about this since we're having this conversation about your temper. And um, when you were in, I think it was the last time you were in as minister, you were actually reprimanded for having an outbreak with um, someone at work as well. Um, I think she was your chief officer at the time. That's now, correct. we never got, of course, you know, on the mall road, you hear kind of what's happening. Uh, we know that you called her, um, I think, an effing driftwood or something to that effect. And people said that you were yelling and screaming at her. Can you tell us exactly what transpired in that instance? And how do people um, juxtapose that compared to what Mr. Bush did? I mean, obviously, you never physically assaulted her. But some people in their mind say, you know what, an assault is an assault. And that was the start of an assault, even if it was just a verbal assault. So explain to us, number one, what went down? And number two, um, you know, where you're at with that sort of situation now? Thanks, Sandra. And, and I'm happy to address this because it's it's been, it's been oh, you know, I've heard it more than once and six years ago, but still people people probably still see it as something uh, seriously, which I, I paid a price for. I apologized at the time. It was wrong. I let my, my, my emotions get the better of me at the time. Um, myself and, and uh, the chief officer worked very well up until that point. Uh, we, we had a, a disagreement over uh, basically a, a reimbursement, as it were, that I felt was due, due to myself from a travel that uh, incidentally she and I had done. Uh, we'd, we'd actually gone to the Commonwealth Games in, in Glasgow to represent. And um, I incurred at the time very high 
very high uh, phone expenses on my personal phone because no one knew my government number. I was new in office and I had a government phone, but uh, my 9164439 is all over this island. And that's, that's where I did all the work uh, for government apart from, you know, even emails and everything else was done there. So when I got back home <laughs> and the bill came, my wife was not impressed to say the least. So she said to me, I, well, she said, oh, I hope you can get some of this back from government. I said, of course, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be refunded some of, some of the money. So uh, I said to my chief officer, I said, you know the situation and I, I'm not asking for all of this, this bill to be paid by government. It's, uh, it's, it's a big bill to me now or then, but it's, it's a pittance, it's a drop in the bucket to what uh, government waste on a daily minute, as it were, not even day. Uh, and, you know, I, I would like some, some sort of consideration for a refund. So we were, we, we debated it back and forth. I said, there's no scientific, I can't tell you exactly what the government portion of the bill was, but I, I, I know that it was, here's my normal bill, here's what it averages. And even if you give me something towards that, not all of it, but something towards that to defray some of the expenses that we have in regards to this bill. Well, it went on back and forth and uh, unfortunately nothing, nothing was forthcoming. And it was, this, this, this must've been a few months later um, after querying it a few times, uh, I received an email from the chief officer saying that she, there's no way that she could do that and bear in mind now, this was the, the same chief officer that prior to me being in office had paid out some 1.2 million or more without a contract. Okay. So mm -hmm. just keep that as a sidebar. Mm -hmm. but, and and um, let's, let's um, for the benefit of our viewers, let's remind them that that was in a matter that ended up being a criminal case a with Mr. Oh gosh, what's his name again? With Jeffrey Webb and Grover Watson. Correct. And just as an aside, a lot of us wondered how the civil servants in that situation, including this chief officer, including people at the HSA, because there were numerous people who signed off on that um, and didn't bat an eye, didn't check the dots or cross the T's or nothing. Exactly. And to this day, I personally still wonder how no one in the civil service was held accountable for allowing that type of a contract to be signed off on with no checks and balances in place. I mean, honestly, that was a situation where government was asking to be defrauded because nobody was checking anything and exactly. they should have been, but continue. So of course, you know, like I said, this was a few hundred bucks, right? Which was a big deal to me at the time uh, or to my wife and, and our expenses at home. So, you know, I, um, I found this, I, I got into my office in the morning and there was the first, I opened up my emails and up came this email from the chief officer, a long email saying, you know, you know, she could not do this. And uh, the, 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 it got around, she got around in the email to basically questioning my integrity in asking for this refund. Now, anybody who knows me knows that that's the one thing you don't do because I am an honest, hardworking individual, raised of the highest, highest standards by a single mom. And one thing I have is my name and my honor and my integrity. And when you question that, you're really challenging me. And 
the the gist of that email was questioning my basically accusing me of 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 forcing her to do something which I knew was wrong. And I, I really didn't see it as something as, as wrong. And I didn't see why that was such a big problem for her to be able to, because it could have easily been resolved. She had that, that discretion that to be able to, to assist me, right? And the, the, the way that was worded, I don't remember the exact wording, but mm -hmm. my, my pressure went up. And at the same time, she came to my door and she was saying good morning to me. And by then, you know, my emotions had gotten the better of me. And I spun around in my chair and I I said what I said. And that was well documented back then based on based on nothing recorded, but of course, uh, people in the building, the building is very porous in terms of hearing. And it I was I raised my voice, I used some foul language, and I was wrong. There's no two ways about that. I was wrong because I should not have let that emotion take over. I should not have let her get to me. She won that day because at the end of the day, my ministry, I, I shift, I was shifted. I left her in that ministry, which I was doing really, really well in, the Minister of Health, and I was shifted over to the Minister of Community Affairs, where I continue to work very hard and do extremely great things for this country on the uh, social services and all that came with it. But that was a mistake. And and maybe who knows if I'd stayed as Minister of Health, maybe I would have been reelected. Maybe I've been an incumbent now. So in, in effect, I paid a price for my indiscretion. But I don't see how that compares with what I was discussing earlier. I mean, yes, I was wrong and I man up to that. And who who's who has not made a mistake in their life? Who has not? But I've learned as I've gotten older. And you know, of course, when you're younger, you're more hot-blooded and you're or hit it and you, you'll get yourself into scraps that you could otherwise walk away from. Uh, no one will get me back in that position. I promise that. And I know that I, I apologize to that lady. Me and that lady talk up to, up, you know, if I see her now, we, we, we talk. We're not friends, but we talk. We're, you know, we're professionals and we moved on from it. She, she moved on from it. I moved on from it. And that is a whole different thing than if I had gotten up and, and beaten the living daylights out of her inside the, the, the government building. I would not even ask anybody to, to, to consider voting for me. So mm -hmm. two different things, folks. Yeah. Um, thank you, Ozzy, for that detailed explanation of what happened, because I think a lot of people were curious at the time, and even since then, exactly um, what transpired. And I, I think you are right when you say that um, we are all, you know, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Um, you know, some of the things that I've even done in my lifestyle, lifetime, sometimes I sort of go, what on earth was I thinking? It's like you have a moment. Um, you know, we all have tempers, I suppose, that can be triggered by different things. And the one thing as we do grow and mature and, you know, who we are we have to recognize that nobody else controls us. So no one can trigger us unless we allow that to be a trigger. Absolutely. And we can explain, we can't excuse away our behavior, but sometimes we can explain um, what has triggered us. And, um, you know, just ask for people to try to understand that and to hope that they, they know that we're sincere in our apology and our way forward. I would have loved for Mr. Bush 
to have done that. You know, I think in his situation, there's been so much back and forth and it all comes down to his refusal to take any degree of accountability for his actions. Um, I, I just find it very, very difficult to understand why that has been so challenging for him, except, you know, we hear this term narcissist being thrown around a lot these days, but I think it really does apply to certain people when they themselves cannot acknowledge that they have a problem. How do you ever hope to get help for a problem that you cannot acknowledge? You know, he claims in his initial apology that he has some unresolved issues. He has an issue with, I think he said, alcohol and the death of his daughter some 10 years ago and the death of his mother. I don't even know when his mom died, but I feel like it's been a really long time. And that he's still struggling with these things. Um, and that he was going to take some time off and get some professional help. Now, what I find to be unexcusable is someone who took some time off some sort of way from the Speaker of the House position, but comes back in and is still giving excuses for his behavior. That doesn't speak to me to someone who actually got help, because had you gotten the help that you needed, you would have through therapy come to the realization that number one, you have to take accountability, full accountability for your actions, not partial accountability, not convenient account accountability, not the court forcing you to say via the DPP's office, if you do not accept our version of the story, then we will call witnesses that we have lined up and have a Newton here. And, and he did all of those things mm -hmm. since claiming that he was going on leave to get professional help. So I hate to say it, but, you know, when he sat on um, OC's show last week and he talked about the fact that he, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's not a woman beater. I had to sit there and say to myself, are you serious? Like he still isn't getting it. And that, I think, is a very dangerous position for any leader to be in. When you're leading, you're supposed to be leading by example. Amen. And I think that unfortunately um, he just misses the plot line time and time again. Um, and I don't know that he can help himself without professional help. You know, there've been stories, Ozzy swirling around a lot of our politicians, everything from domestic violence. We've heard of politicians pulling guns on people. We've heard of politicians fighting in legislative assembly, um, cheating on wives and spouses seems to be the norm for uh, those elected to public office, um, especially when they become, you know, when they get in leadership positions, when they become ministers or premiers of the country or whatever, they seem to have this extra level of confidence that allows them to go out there and do things that appear to be really, really unconscionable. Um, you know, just bad public behavior, all sorts of stuff. I mean, can we expect the members, the elected members, of the legislative assembly to start behaving themselves and doing better? Or do you think we are relegated to this position because the people in this country who continue to vote in these same persons time and time again, despite their bad behavior, you know, because two months before an election, they jump up and start going to church. Um, but, you know, we're, we're ignoring everything else. You know, I've had people, um, Miss Twyla, rest in peace, but I had Miss Twyla saying to me, well, the vast majority of, of Caymanian men um, and women are engaged in domestic violence anyway. That's not a big deal. And I thought to myself, is, is that right? Is that what we're really doing? I mean, I don't know because I didn't grow up in that setting where domestic violence or violence in the home 
um, is a norm. And in fact, even though I was a child that grew up with the strap, as an adult, I no longer believe that that is the, the correct position from which you should be raising your children because you are teaching them at some level that violence is okay and that we can say that we love someone and still subject them to violence. So my question really, Ozzy, is um, do you think elected members are getting the message that as a community and as, as a country that there are a lot of us who are sick and tired of their personal mess of a lives? Like if their lives are so messy, how can they possibly run this country? Well, Sandra, you have asked a big question and it's one that every one of us who are aspiring for office or in office needs to answer honestly, because there's only one law in the land. There is not, I think we are running on dangerous territory when we start to think that people in leadership or in high office in this country have a different set of laws that govern them. They don't. There is one law and it needs to be applied fairly because when it becomes a them and us situation and the common man on the street sees that whatever he does, he's castigated, arrested, charged and jailed, but yet someone in high office or some big shot in the country can do this or that and walk away and get away with it with a slap on the wrist, not even a resignation or anything of that nature. We are working on dangerous, walking on dangerous ground. That is not healthy, that is wrong. So all of us who aspire to high office, as I said, who are in high office, we need to check and say, am I conducting myself accordingly? There is an ethics committee uh, of, of, the, of the parliament and that ethics committee needs to become more active. I don't know what the status of it is now. I know it exists. It should be their members to that committee. Uh, we should hold ourselves to account. And if we operate in the wrong manner, we should pay the price. And the only price that, that we are hired by the people, the only price that we can pay is to be fired by the people. But mm -hmm. if we do something outside of the law, then we should pay that price equally. Uh, we cannot just simply because we carry so many supporters, we are so popular. We should not because we that that is that is what we see in other countries where you have dictators and where you have uh, regimes that are that are against their own people that basically can do what they want to do. The people can't do anything, and they have the say and the way. We have to change that, Sandy. And I, I, I hate to think that we'll be walking on that road. That's a dangerous slope. So we, it's a good question you've asked, and I think it needs to be asked of everyone that aspires for office and who's in office, and not just those, but many other people in the community who are big business people or, or whatever, community leaders in other areas, then you need to hold yourself you know, I, I have a family. I, my family comes first in terms of my life and my country. And I have to know that I can't go out there and conduct myself in such a way for my adult, my young adult kids to be embarrassed. That's my first and my wife to be embarrassed. My first and foremost obligation is to them. If I can't deal with myself properly from oh, shoot, I hope, 
My apologies. And go on. Ozzy, my apologies. I'm just seeing the time. I've got to be at the airport oh, for now. Okay, yes. and, and, um, I have one more, have one more question. Um, and uh, Carolina, I'm, I wasn't ignoring your question, actually. Um, nice, but I will ask you to answer it as quickly as possible because I've got to grab my bag and head to the airport. I'm sitting here enjoying the conversation so much I didn't realize the time. And I don't want Cameron Airways to not allow me to go to the BRAC today. So <laughs> final question. Says, um, what exactly has Mr. Bodden done since the incident to not only better understand the impact of verbal abuse, but also to address his own issues that would allow him to fly off the handle at his workplace? Well, I, I don't know if she missed my earlier uh, explanation, but I think I've, I've already explained that. I've, I admit that it was wrong. Uh, verbal abuse is not, is not an accepted form of abuse. No, no abuse is good. And uh, verbal abuse can be very damaging. It's something that I I, I made a, a spur of the moment mistake, and I and I paid the price for it. It's something that I know is wrong, and certainly it's not something that I do on a daily basis. So this was six years ago, and I I don't think that you can go around finding where I've done this every month or every year since. It, it's not it's not the case. Right. I control I think she myself. was probably asking if something like, did you need to do any counseling, or is this something? Uh, that no, like. I didn't. I didn't need because I I'm man enough to admit I was wrong, and I know I, I I'm a parent, and I know that you know of adult kids, and trust me, I was held to account by my own family. So you know I don't I and and the people around me that mean a lot to me, my close friends and and neighbors and everything else. So I I am I don't have to. I didn't need counseling because it's not it's not an incident. Like I said, it's not something that. I'm, that I'm doing all the time. If if you if you if you do something, and you say you're sorry, and you do it again, and then you say you're sorry, you do it again. Then you have a problem, and I think then you need counseling. That is not the case here. I made a mistake, and uh, you know, they, we have to admit when we make a mistake. That's all mm -hmm. I can say to that, and I'm very sorry for that, and I apologize to the later once again and to, and to the country, and hopefully to the my constituents that I will represent after April 14th. Ozzy, thank you so much for joining us, folks. My apologies. I do have to cut the show, the show short this morning uh, because I've got to get to the airport. I literally have uh, 16 minutes to get there from Lower Valley. So I'm going to try to do the speed limit so I don't get pulled over. But uh, we will be back here tomorrow's Friday. Um, we have Sammy Samuel Jackson, Samuel Sammy Jackson on the program, as well as Sabrina Turner. Stay tuned, folks. Lots more political candidates will be joining us here on The Cold Hard Truth, where you can join in, ask your questions, ask the cold hard questions as you have done today. Um, no holes bar. Ozzy, thank you so much for joining us. And I think we're going to be seeing you again soon. Thank you, Sandin. Thanks to the, the people that called in and text and all that. And certainly, uh, we, we'll be back. And uh, safe travels over to the Brock. Say hello to the, to the Brockers over there for me. All right, folks, make sure you tune in later on today. We will be live streaming directly from Cayman Brock. Um, again, we're going on the MAX 737 uh, or the Boeing 737-8. And Cayman Brockers, come on out. You will have an opportunity to tour uh, that plane this morning. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at caymanmarlroad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.